Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Green Party faces big questions about the future after Annamie Paul points to internal squabbling as her reason for stepping down. I just asked myself whether this is um, something that I wanted to continue, whether I was willing to continue to put up with uh, the attacks I knew would be coming, um, whether to continue to have to fight and struggle uh, just to fulfill my democratically elected role as leader of this party. And I just, I just don't have the, the heart for it. Alberta sets records for COVID patients in the ICU, while the federal government offers help for Saskatchewan. There are 310 Albertans in ICU, of which 226 patients have COVID-19. We have never ever had that number of total patients in ICU before, never with the prior waves and never in the history of this province. And each day we see a new high. And the White House says the release of Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig was not the result of a prisoner swap. I would note that the president and every member of our administration, national security officials who have, contact, have had contacts with Chinese officials over the past nine months have made clear uh, that they want to see the release of the two Michaels. It's Tuesday, September 28th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Mark. So what's next for the Green Party now that Annamie Paul has stepped down? And, um, and, and is this the, the end? Does, does her departure represent the end of, of the internal struggles that preceded the election? Or is it just the beginning? Yeah, that's a really, really good question because I, you know, one gets the sense that that what she's describing is the tip of the iceberg, and I think you know there 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 is just it does not look like the situation in that party is simple. There is um, they're a very difficult to manage party. Elizabeth May, has, when she was leader, was always saying this that uh, it is not leader focused. It's not leader-centric, uh, and the leader doesn't have a whole bunch of control. So bringing in a new leader may not solve the problems that plagued Annemi Paul. She may have uh, had her own problems, and I'm getting lots of mail today uh, from uh, people who said she was the author of her own destruction, some from people inside the Green Party, that, uh, that, that we don't know the half of things that's going on in there. But I, I do think if they don't figure this out, as you suggest, the problems may be existential. You know, that um, we are in a climate crisis. We have got now a prime minister who believes that climate is what is he is seized with. He is actively looking to, uh, to harvest all those greens over to the liberal side. So... While the party is figuring out this mess, they're irrelevant in Parliament. They've uh, they've lost people in Parliament. The, uh, uh, well, they have one brand new one from Kitchener who can put some energy into the party. Elizabeth May is, is winding down, so she's the other one. They have no leader, and they clearly have a cultural problem inside the party, too, uh, that it's, it, it may be unmanageable. And is it fair to say, do you think, I mean, obviously the, the party can keep going and there are there are parties that, that persist uh, and we see them every election and they never elect anybody uh, as MPs and the Green Party 
is has elected two MPs, so that's that's not nothing. But is there are they running out of chances? Is the Green Party running out of chances to become more relevant and more of a force in Canadian politics if they don't get the next few steps right? Exactly. I think um, their big chance was the 2019 election. You, I remember, I think you and I spoke about it. Uh, they they entertained real dreams of getting official party status in the House of Commons. You know, that's 12 seats unless the criteria has changed. Um, but but they, they really entertained hopes of, of being in the double digits in representation in Parliament. And as you say, you don't have to be represented in Parliament to make a difference. Um, the People's Party... Uh, Maxine Bernier's um, purple-shirted gang, they're, they're, they're making an impact without having a seat, and I think they will continue to do so. But I, I think um, the fact that the Green Party was moving in one direction toward growth got stalled for whatever reasons in 2019, and then this absolute debacle with Elizabeth May's replacement says that, you know, it they may be running out of chances. They may, they, they need something um, to fix whatever is going on in there too. I did, we should just say that, you know, I, I don't recall seeing a resignation announcement like that. Um, usually when, when I, you know, if you think of Stockwell Day, who was basically hounded out of his job too at the Canadian Alliance, or, or you see, you know, um, other leaders, when they stepped down, John Turner embattled in the 1980s by internal strife within the party. You don't see them um, trashing the party the way uh, Annamie Paul did uh, yesterday. It was it was quite remarkable. And um, you've got to think, this is 2021. This isn't a simple, pardon the pun, black and white case. Uh, it, it It's got to be a number of of messes inside that party that have led to this. Can a new leader fix it? One does not. So yeah. All right. Let's turn to the situation in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh, the Alberta Medical Association uh, yesterday called for a new set of public health measures in order to get the fourth wave under control in Alberta. Uh, there have been more than five thousand new cases since Friday. Um, and uh, it's it's obviously a health crisis. It's also uh, it has also been a, a political crisis, and there are people criticizing the performance of the government. Um, and uh, and in Saskatchewan, there are uh, there you know the federal health minister Patty Haidu has said the surge in cases there is heartbreaking. So, um, uh, what's what's the latest on that, and and where do you see it going? You know, I was taken aback by one number yesterday, still rattling around my head today, that one in 200 people in Saskatchewan has COVID. That is a, a massive amount. You know, it's uh, we haven't seen that since since the start of it. Uh, and I, everywhere I've been sort of wandering uh, in the post-election world, after the, you know, what's going to happen after the election, and the question is, what's going to happen to Jason Kenney's leadership, and how did things get so bad for him? I, again, I'm not sure I see a way out for Jason Kenney in in this one. Uh, it looks like the, you know, maybe this is the theme of the week is embattled leaders. Uh, 
something has, has gone awry between the Jason Kenney, who was here in Ottawa, who was one of the star cabinet ministers, and uh, the Jason Kenney, who is facing caucus revolts, health crisis, uh, and, and yeah, he just, uh, it, it does seem that, that uh, his, his political future is probably imperiled. You know, I've heard the questions being asked, should he have stayed, you know, if he had to do history over again, should he have run for the conservative leadership, you know, after after the loss and the defeat in 2015? Would the world look different? Would Jason Kenney be prime minister right now? Um, I don't know that I've heard anybody give me a really good explanation for why the mismatch between his reputation in Ottawa and what has happened in Alberta, but it doesn't, it, it looks like, as you said, we've got a health crisis there and then underneath that one, a political crisis. Yeah. Neither of them going away quickly. Mm-hmm. All right, let's turn to the aftermath of the return of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor to Canada. There have been some interesting developments in the last 24 hours. Um, yesterday, there was a bit of a an exchange of words at the United Nations General Assembly over the detentions of Spavor and Kovrig and uh, and Meng Wanzhou. Um, and, uh, and then there's been some new information that's come to light. People saying, your colleague Tonda McCharles, uh, saying that uh, China, Canada, and the U- U.S. all insist there was no deal. Uh, that mm-hmm. even though even though the timing was incredibly incredibly coincidental, um, so what do you make of all of that, and where where do you think we're going in terms of Canada China relations going forward? Yeah, that is a great story by Tonda, and it's um, uh, others are out there saying too. This is this is the willing suspension of disbelief, as you suggest that we all knew it was connected when they got on the planes at the same time. And I think it was one thing to hear China say it wasn't connected. China had so many stories about this. It was health reasons. It was bail. It was that the Canadian government paid bail. That's what did it. It was, but it, it, it was kind of obvious that, that the, the planes, the ride seemed to be. So that was fine. And then when we heard the United States make that argument, it's all very hard to believe it. It, it says that this was some very, like a game of Jenga, you know, like uh, this is very crafted together arrangement where everybody's agreed to say one thing. There's a, uh, also, uh, the Washington Post has a story saying that what broke the the impasse over this was Meng Wanzhou uh, willing to admit wrongdoing to the Justice Department a couple of weeks ago. And mm. that's what, <clears throat> that's what started all of this. Um, Canada-China relations are in bad shape, and the fact that China continues to kind of trash Canada after releasing the Michaels is not a good sign, you know. Um, but I, I, I think Canadians who weren't paying attention to this are paying attention now, and they're saying, what the hell, you know, who are vaguely sort of aware of, of what was going on with the Michaels are now sort of shocked that... That, that these games and, and the, the tit-for-tat uh, rhetoric continues. So I, anybody who wants to try to cobble together a, a, a relationship with China, and we do need to economically, is, is going to have to get past this little episode. 
Yeah. I'd say on a high point, my um, my favorite image of yesterday, and it sort of ties all the stories together, is that Michael Kovrig used his first full day of freedom in Toronto to walk into a pharmacy and get vaccinated. And mm. uh, the pharmacist, with Kovrig's permission, put up the picture. And it's a, it's, it's a lovely... Um, it's a lovely thing or a, a lovely image to insert into all these protests about what freedom means. What freedom means to Michael Kovrig is to get vaccinated. It's a, you know, it's a, it's an image I hope stays in the heads of uh, the unvaccinated right now. Yeah, that's a great place to end. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun considers ways Canada can push back against China. The Sun writes, To say that Canadians aren't crazy about the authoritarian communist regime that controls China would be an understatement. An Angus Reid public opinion poll from this May found that Canadian opinions of the Chinese state remain sour, and we should not expect that favorability rating to climb anytime soon. Now is the time for every Canadian institution that has ties with the Chinese government to consider ways to decouple from China and distance themselves from a regime that will only cause us more trouble. In the Toronto Star, Martin Reg Cohen argues Canada's problems with China are far from over. He writes, Now that the two Michaels have been released, the hard choices facing Canada will only get harder. Just as everyone has an opinion on the Middle East, All Canadians now have an argument about China. But if we get bogged down in imaginary battles over consular roads not taken and nuclear submarines not built, we will lose sight of the robust China policy we need now, anchored in international reality, not domestic fantasy and political sophistry. In the National Post, Brad Wall argues the Conservatives need to focus on winning, not leadership distractions. Wall writes, Throughout the election campaign, Aaron O'Toole built connections with Canadians by campaigning and communicating effectively. If the party is looking for something constructive to do, how about a communications effort to let Western Canada in on Conservative policies? The party might also get busy developing a campaign strategy for winning without Quebec. O'Toole is not the problem. In fact, he is well-positioned to lead on these matters at this pivotal time in our history. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda today. The Prime Minister will be joined by Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland during a visit to a vaccination clinic in Ottawa, followed by a news conference. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, September 28th. Tune into Primetime Politics every weeknight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.